Hello and welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, reporting for duty. Hope you had a happy Easter. It's a big deal out here in Germany. They even take the Monday off, everybody. But, you know, at the same time, my girlfriend was telling me that if Christmas, I don't know how I don't know this after five and a half years in Germany, but on Christmas, if you work for a German company, if Christmas is on a Saturday, you do not get the day off. <laughs> like You don't get the bonus day on the Friday or on the Monday. You're out of luck. Uh, so that, that's kind of funny. Uh, they do get a lot more holidays, though, in general, uh, like generally vacation. I mean, they practically all, to generalize, they practically all take the month of August off. So all of Europe. So so yeah, and speaking of Europe, we got an interesting comment. I mean, I was talking about Germany and nuclear power in the last episode, and I was sort of speculating, you know, maybe the reason the German government is closing down its nuclear power is because, well, maybe they didn't want to have to just get uranium from Russia, and if they're getting net gas from Russia, maybe they just don't want to, maybe they're just substituting. But we got a comment. Which brought me back to reality. Thank you, TBCIV. Uranium does not come from Russia, though they do a lot of enrichment. In fact, if Germany put back on their reactors, they could cut dependence on Russian gas. So that all sounds right to me, because isn't that right? Like, I thought Kazakhstan was the main producer of uranium, and if anything, it's Cameco and Saskatchewan after that. So, you know, so maybe we should have more uranium episodes out there and we'll just send them to the German government to listen to. It sounds like it's all been figured out. The, you know, the more I hear about uranium, the more safe it sounds. And these SMRs, these small module reactors. So anyways, uh, thank you for the comment, TBCIV. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. Other than that, we have a very interesting episode here. I thought you know, there's this mining.com story that came out that is talking about the top 50 mining companies and how they have powered through COVID, adding a trillion dollars in value. So I thought what we could do is actually take a closer look at these companies. I thought we could take a closer look at the market caps and the PEs and just look at the charts. I can describe them a little bit online for you because when we discuss, say, mining markets, metals markets, financial markets in general, there is a lot of qualitative statements made, right? And I'm actually a huge fan of qualitative anecdotal data. I think it's actually underrated. But nevertheless, the beautiful thing about the numbers is first that we have numbers in financial markets and that we can go to. And because the numbers are the numbers, the numbers don't lie. They are our gauge of what to go on. So I thought, let's go through the numbers and see what we can figure out. Because in the news section, we're going to take a look at a story or two that are saying that the commodity producers are not making money. And just to add to the the mystery here, then we look at a company like BHP. It has a 9% dividend yield. Like that took me by surprise with a PE ratio, price to earnings ratio of 12, which normally it's 15. It's sort of seen as a good value PE traditionally, I mean, to super generalize. So its PE is 11.78 or 12 
Rio Tinto has a 9.62% dividend with a P.E. ratio of 6, 6.36. So I don't want to spoil too much here. I guess final spoiler alert, Barrick is not in the top 10. I'm sure much to the chagrin of Mark Bristow. Newmont is. I will reveal no more. You're going to have to listen to the feature content there. So we're going to go through the top 10. We're just going to take a look and see if we can figure anything out along the way. While looking at these news stories that are saying, you know, we're getting conflicting reports here. I mean, mining.com says top 50 mining companies add a trillion dollars in value. And then we hear how they're not making much money, some of these guys. So that is the focus of this episode, which I am informally calling the Sherlock Holmes episode. So feel free to chime in in the comments there. We love getting comments and I love to hear from you, just as we did with TBCIV there with his nuclear comment, which helped bring us back to reality a bit on the situation. Like, I was probably being a little too charitable. Like, there seems to be a bias against nuclear power, which is interesting. And, like, I mean, you'd think under these circumstances, I mean, France is going ahead. I think they are building more. That is the plan. I guess it's probably going to depend on the French election a little bit, which, I mean, you want to talk about a wild card. I mean... Just quick aside, I mean, Marine Le Pen is anti-NATO, okay? So, and apparently this election is, you know, a horse race, to use a political cliche. So if Marine Le Pen wins, I mean, what does that, like, talk about a black swan event, I mean, what does what happens then? What happens to the alliance? I mean... France is kind of seen, at least for now, to be kind of at least the symbolic head of Europe. And now that Merkel's gone, it kind of Macron is kind of the guy. And what happens if Macron gets replaced by an anti-NATO candidate? Interesting times as ever. Other than that, you still have time to sign up for the Mining Legends Speaker Series with Pierre Lassonde. That is on June 8th at 10.30 to 3, $85. Just go to events.northernminer.com. You can pick up a ticket. And it includes a gourmet three-course lunch, which makes me hungry just saying those words. And also we have a global mining symposium coming up in May, and that is so about two weeks earlier than the speaker series, as on May 25th and 26th, you can register at events.northernminer.com. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com, and you can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner, and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, eight workers missing at Trevally's Percoa Mine as flooding suspends operations by Naimul Karim. And the Percoa zinc mine is in Burkina Faso. And it says here, eight workers from Trevally Mining's Percoa zinc mine in Burkina Faso are missing as flooding caused heavy rainfall in Burkina Faso over the weekend and disrupted operations. The mine was evacuated and rescue efforts are ongoing with support from the government, local communities, and other mining companies in the area, the company told the Northern Miner by email on Monday. Quote, we are deeply saddened by this unexpected event, the company's CEO, Rikas Grimbeek, said in a press release on April 18th. Quote, our 
Immediate focus is on search and rescue. We will provide further updates as the situation unfolds and we determine the cause of the flooding event. Our thoughts are with the family, friends, and colleagues that have been impacted. Hopefully they are not cutting corners. I mean, zinc is above $2 now. It's actually one of the best performing metals. Uh, this is located in the Sangui province, about 120 kilometers west of the capital city of Ugadugu. The Perkoa mine produced 316.2 million payable pounds of zinc in 2021 and generates the bulk of the company's revenue. At press time in Toronto, shares of Trevally Mining fell 23%, or $0.44 cents to $1.45, with analysts describing the latest update as negative. Well, yeah. Quote, while it is difficult to know the extent of the flooding, potential damage, necessary remediation, as well as a timeline for an appropriate investigation at this time, we have assumed the Percoa mine is closed for 30 days. Percoa is estimated as over 50% of Trevally's payable zinc production, added costs, and Percoa not producing could potentially extend pressures. So is BMO analyst Rene Cartier. Scotiabank analyst Orest Waukodaw said something similar. Quote, we currently forecast Percoa to yield 72,000 tons of contained zinc this year, representing 52% of the company's total output and half a percent of global mine supplies. So hopefully these workers, hopefully they can be rescued. Uh, the top 50 mining companies power through COVID, adding a trillion dollars in value. So this is by Frick Ells on mining.com. So this is where I want to go here on our feature content. So I'll read this now, and then we'll go into detail after metal prices. So extreme volatility on metal and mining markets continued into 2022 amid historically low stockpiles of metal on global exchanges. But for most sectors, the risks remained on the upside. Copper prices again entered record territory. Iron ore prices climbed to $150 a ton after dipping to double digits late last year. And industrial metals, including nickel, tin, and zinc, shot up. The Ukraine war lit a fire under an already hot potash market. Coal and uranium benefited from the ongoing worldwide energy crunch. Lithium soared and cobalt bolted. Gold pierced $2,000 but couldn't hold it. And palladium hit a record only to pull back sharply. Investors made the most of the turmoil with the Mining.com Top 50 ranking of the world's most valuable miners jumping by $335 billion in Q1, extending a trend that has seen valuations balloon near 150% since the lows of March-April 2020. You know, 150% is not crazy, though, when you think of where a lot of other companies have come from since the lows of March-April 2020. I guess a lot of these tech companies have given it back, though. From just over $700 billion at the depth of the pandemic slump, the globe's 50 most valuable mining companies now have a combined worth of $1.75 trillion, handily beating the previous record valuation set mid-2021. Now, this all sounds like a lot of money, $1.75 trillion, and obviously it is. But when you kind of think of all the money that's out there, when you consider the deficits, when you consider the annual budget of, say, the U.S., the U.S. deficit. What is that? I'm, you know, pulling numbers out of the air here, but I'm guessing 2 or $3 trillion. And we have the world's 50 top most valuable mining companies only amounting to $1.75 trillion in value. There's a bit of a disconnect there, isn't there? I mean, to begin our Sherlock Holmes speculation here, to me that says that either these mining companies are undervalued or, well, it seems inevitable, actually, and I'm not, this isn't financial advice. I'm just saying if the deficit of, let's say, the biggest economy in the world is larger 
than the combined value of all mining companies, of the top 50 mining companies in the world, uh, that just tells you that there's a disconnect there, isn't there? Because this is all the stuff in the world that's worth anything. This is all the ore. That even includes like potash and nutrients. So, I mean, it really puts things in perspective in a sense. So continuing on, the index received a boost from the merger closed in February of constituents Ignico Eagle and Kirkland Lake Gold that created a $30 billion plus company, but valuations moved sharply higher across the board. At the end of Q1 2020, a valuation of just over $3 billion secured a company a spot in the ranking, while today, number 50 on the list, lithium and iron ore newcomer mineral resources, is valued at $8.5 billion. So I'm not going to go into the top 10 companies here because we're going to do that in the future content. But what we will do is we're going to look at the best performers and the worst performers by market cap. And the best performer is Ignico Eagle. Of course, they merged with Kirkland Lake Gold, so maybe that's not fair, but they are up 149%. Madden, which I have to confess I've never heard of, is up 87.7%. Mosaic is up 77%. SQM, which is lithium, is up 70%. Kumba Iron Ore is up 57%. Yazoo Coal is up 57%. Valet is up 46%. Cleveland Cliffs is up 44%. Cameco is up 40%. This is, again, market cap. And Tech Resources is up 38%. And the worst performers, Tanchi Lithium. Wow, the top three are Chinese, I believe. Tanchi Lithium, minus 24%. Ganfang Lithium is the second worst performer, down 21%. China Northern Rare Earth, down 17%. Maybe that's just a reflection of the Chinese stock market, maybe not doing that well, but pretty interesting to see those Chinese companies, I mean, doing worse than the Russian. I mean, then Norilsk Nickel came in, down 16%. Then Zhangji Copper, down 14%. Albemarle which I believe is in Latin America. I believe that's Chile, but I'm not positive. That is down 9%. China molybdenum, up 0.2%. Impala platinum, up 3.1%. Polyus, which I believe is Russian, up 6%. And mineral resources, up only 10%. So it's interesting. The worst performers, you know, from 7 to 10 of the worst performers, they're still in the, in the green. There's only six performers that were in the red almost entirely, except for Albemarle, a Chinese and one Russian company. So interesting. So we're going to go more into depth in a few minutes here. And here's this other story that I wanted us to take a look at. Market volatility to hit Q1 earnings for base metal miners. And this is by Daniel Sekulik. Despite higher commodity prices, base metal miners are likely to take an earnings hit in the first quarter of the year as volatile price action continues in the wake of recent geopolitical events, says CIBC Capital Markets. In a research note to clients, CIBC mining analyst Bryce Adams said that economic sanctions on Russia, owing to the country's invasion of Ukraine, are the main driver of these reduced earnings projections. So economic sanctions on Russia, owing to the country's invasion of Ukraine, are the main driver of these reduced earnings projections. As a result, after strong growth in 2021, Adams thinks that the base metal sector will now see an average quarterly EBITDA decrease of about 14%. Speaking to the Northern Miner, Adams said he has concerns about the impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict on the sector. Quote, the war will dampen consumption on many base metals as supply chains are interrupted. 
Russia is a big player, and it's not like others can quickly fill the gap. And this creates concerns. Couple that with the R word, recession, and the impact on earnings for base metals could be significant. So interesting. He's saying the supply chains are getting broken, which one would think would increase the price of a metal. But then he's saying there's a recession in the cards, which would decrease demand and that base metal miners would be hurt. So it's getting complicated. There's kind of multiple vectors here. With global inflation, and here's another one, currently exceeding what most expected, plus a war in Ukraine reducing Russia's exports, and then the added recent lockdowns in China that have shuttered parts of its domestic and international markets, the once stayed base metal sector is facing challenges it has never seen. However, while these various factors are expected to impact earnings in the first quarter of this year, if not further, Adams does see some positivity within the sector, particularly for copper as well as metallurgical coal and uranium. I mean, this is a different story from what we're hearing because I thought everything was going fabulous for the miners here. Quote, some copper companies could see continued growth this year towards the high end of guidance. Sanctions on Russian met coal could push prices higher in the near term. And uranium? It was already getting stronger before the war and should continue. Looking at first quarter 2022 copper earnings, CIBC forecasts an average increase of about 17% in cash costs per pound. So a 17% increase in cash costs per pound, with average copper prices going up about 3% quarter over quarter. Well, that's true. I mean, copper has not really taken off like a lot of the other metals have, right? And we'll take a closer look at that metal prices, but... Their costs are going up 17%. I mean, we see it with oil, so maybe this isn't so crazy. Adams says that, quote, sporadic supply disruptions in South America and continued global logistical challenges, end quote, have kept copper markets tight. This gives him pause to believe there is, quote, some potential for caution in copper fundamentals over the next 12 months, end quote, citing increased probability of a recession, global consumption impacts, and the wait until 2023 for new copper assets to come online. I feel like we're getting like a few different messages here, which is a recession may be coming, which will lower demand. However, supply chains are tight, so supply is going to be constrained. And I mean, it's really captured by this sentence here. But visible copper inventories increased about 47%. In the first quarter of this year, said Adams, quote, highlighting an easing tightness in the market. I mean, that's what this whole report seems to be saying. There's an easing tightness. It's easy, but it's tight. Like I, So to me, what this thing says is we have different vectors coming in here. And in some respects, supply is getting tighter, but maybe demand is coming down or expected to come down. Okay, for Met Coal... Adam points out that prices rose as sanctions have hit Russia, that makes sense, which had provided 16% of global supply in 2021. That's a big deal. Coal is important for electricity. Quote, the resulting impact in the supply side should be supportive of higher coal prices in the near term. End quote. Adam said, adding that this should bode well for firms like Tech Resources, for whom he expects to see coal sales amount to 56% of its total revenue this quarter versus 41% in the same period last year. As for uranium, Adam said that the sector was gaining strength even before the war in Ukraine as decarbonization and green energy concerns increased. Quote, but again, it's Russia that is having an impact on uranium prices. End quote, said Adams, referring to sanctions on the country's uranium 
adding that the average spot prices of U308 increased to about 13% quarter over quarter. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, a lot of confusion out there. And I think it's a fair enough description because you really have to be careful going all in on commodities right now because if we get some massive recession, this could all come tumbling down. I mean, look at what happened in 2008, right? When we had a huge commodity bull market and oil went up to $150 a barrel. And then we had a massive 2008 financial crisis. So that's kind of what you got to be careful of as a commodities investor here, that if we have a recession, demand will come down. Continuing on, Chile heads towards two lost decades of copper output growth. This is by Cecilia Jamazmi. Chile's crown as the world's largest producer of copper is at risk as the country's output continues to be lower than expected, despite the billions of dollars invested in new projects in the past 18 years. BMO's Colin Hamilton warned on Thursday. Now, Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs is really bullish on copper. He said, we are really going to be short. I listened to a recent interview with him. Now, Colin Hamilton, the commodities analyst, noted that he had received several questions over the past week about the weakness in Chilean copper output year to date as first quarter production reports from many of the companies with operations in the South American country have started coming out. Chile's January copper production spooked investors as it fell 7.5% from the same month of 2021 to 425,700 tons, the lowest in 11 years. Lower ore quality, water scarcity, and other transitory near-term issues were the reasons given by the State Chilean Copper Commission, Cochilco, for the sharp drop. For Hamilton, however, the production decline is far from being an unusual occurrence. BMO estimates the country's 2022 copper production is on track to being lower than in 2004, when the nation churned out slightly over 5.4 million tons, equivalent to 37% of the world's production. And finally, we have a quote from Hamilton, quote, following the steady ramp up in the 1990s and early 2000s, output levels have stagnated with the projections of 6 million tons per year plus of output never coming to pass. So there is a sense, and I've heard it before, that maybe Chile is kind of, I don't know if they've reached peak output, but that they are starting to have issues with their, again, we're getting to lower quality ore. So interesting. And finally, just a few headlines here. Peruvian government to negotiate with communities opposing Glencore's copper project. So another challenge, social environmental challenges that a lot of companies face. And also here, last leg of Ring of Fire Road enters the environmental assessment process. So now this is interesting. This is by Naimul Karim because this is, remember Wailu Metals, who had been competing for the Eagle Nest Nickel Copper Project in the Ring of Fire. So things are happening over in the Ring of Fire. The First Nations of Martin Falls and Wabiqui have submitted the terms of reference for the proposed Northern Road Link, a piece of infrastructure that Ontario describes as, quote, the final piece end quote, needed to build an all-season road into the Ring of Fire. So, interesting. And finally, Sprott up stake in newfound gold to 31% with $125 million share purchase from Novo Resources. And that's by Jackson Chen. You can read it on northernminer.com. Those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices.
And turning to metal prices, before we begin, the 10-year bond is at 2.88%. So still hovering near its highs and uh, still above the 2.5% that Gareth Soloway was warning us about. And I believe Bill Gross, the, I don't know if he's the current bond king, but one of the bond kings out there, he was warning at 2.1% that if it broke that. So we have seen a huge move and it continues to stay quite elevated, although not at 3% yet. Now, turning to our metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on April 19th, Gold is trading at $1,976.37 per ounce. That is $19 higher than last week. Silver is trading at $25.82 per ounce. That is $0.64 higher than last week. Platinum is trading at $1,016.23 per ounce. That is $34 higher than last week. Palladium is trading at $2,375.15 per ounce. That is $67 lower than last week. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is down $0.05 cents at $4.66 per pound. Aluminum is down $0.07 cents at $1.47 per pound. Lead is up $0.02 cents at $1.12 per pound. That looks like an all-time high of the last two and a half years. It's skirted on $1.11 a few times in the last year, but now we're at $1.12, so lead kind of breaks through, and nickel is at $15.08, so that is down $0.39 from last week, but still, you know, I mean, you don't need to go that far back when nickel was at $9, and frankly, go back like six months, and we're talking like $6, and now it's at 15 so it remains elevated. Not sure if they've sorted out all those issues at the LME yet. Some people are saying there's still problems. All to say, nickel is still not down. And tin is below $20 at $19.65 per pound. So that is $0.44 cents lower than last week when it broke $20 for the first time that we've been recording these numbers in the last three years. Cobalt is at $36.99 per pound. That is a penny lower. And zinc breaks $2 at $2.03 per pound. Again, like two years ago, this was at about $0.90. Cents. Now we're at $2.03. So a steady climb, really just a few cents, like two or three cents per week practically, with a little variation on that in the last year, just climbing from a dollar. Pretty interesting stuff. So zinc at $2.03 per pound. So what do we see? I mean, I think we see a continuation of elevated metal prices across the board. Gold is higher. Gold, like what's interesting about gold is it kind of feels like it's doing nothing. And it kind of hasn't. If you look back, say, one, two, three, four, six weeks, it was at $2,009. But if you look back, you know, 12 weeks when it was at 1783 you know where it was for a while like it's it's starting to move and i saw yesterday it was it hit above $2000 briefly so it's kind of knocking on the door of $2000 and it seems to be knocking a little more commonly with a little more frequency and yeah i'd say that's it i mean zinc and lead are really the standouts there with everything else just kind of maintaining what i'd consider to be a fairly elevated price and nickel in particular uh but look at tin so yeah and those 
are your metal prices. And coming up, we are going to look at the top 10 mining companies by market cap. We are going to look at them one at a time. Look at market cap, PE, just sort of take a make a few observations on the chart and look at their dividends and just see if we can see what's going on there with the miners right now at this very interesting junction where the metals have clearly gone up. How are the miners doing? I mean, that is our question, right? How are the miners doing? Let's find out. I hope you enjoy it and we will see you there. So we begin, and again, we're using the top 50 mining companies according to mining.com and mining intelligence. And so the top mining company is BHP Group, based in Australia. And their market cap, if I go to Google, is $198 billion. So that is the world's largest mining company. And... If we look at their PE, as I was mentioning earlier, it's at 11.78. So let's say 12 price to earnings. And for those that don't, let's just look up at the beginning of our journey here. The price to earnings ratio, just so we know exactly what we're talking about here. The price to earnings ratio, PE ratio, is the ratio for valuing a company that measures its current share price relative to its earnings per share, or EPS. The price-to-earnings ratio is sometimes known as the price multiple or earnings multiple. So it's the share price versus the earnings per share, the PE. So if we go back, so again, traditionally 15 is kind of your classic normal PE, say for the S&P 500 as a whole. Uh, And so... Here is BHP at almost $200 billion valuation. The stock, PE of 12, which seems kind of low, and we're going to speculate on why that might be, and a 9% dividend, and again, maybe 2 to 4% would be in the more normal range. So what is going on with BHP? Then we look at the chart, and I put it on max, and basically what we have here is a year ago, we were around the same levels, just around $78, and now we've approached these same levels. And then we came all the way down in October, November, down to $52. Now we're back up to $78.38. We have not broken the all-time high, which is in 2011, at $94.88. So... I guess a lot is riding on if it can first break this $78 from a year ago, which precipitously came down, and now it's run all the way back up. So what else is interesting is it's got this low P.E. ratio after having climbed from $53 only in November. And so it's climbed significantly, maybe 30 40%, 35%. So... Yeah, and it's not breaking all-time highs, and it's not even breaking the 2008 high. It's right about there. The 2008 high is at $83.87, and we're at 78 So kind of an inflection point, I think, for BHP. And again, it's had a massive run, so it's not... And again, none of this is financial advice, but not necessarily something you want to buy after 
kind of it, uh, moving up from 53 to 78. So kind of interesting. Now, as far as why, I don't know why the P.E. ratio would say be what I would consider so low and the dividend be so high, except I wonder, like, is does ESG investing have to do with this? Like, it, like I do see, I mean, and this is interesting as well. I'm on Google Finance. CDP climate change score of B, that doesn't sound bad. Okay, so what's interesting is it's kind of got a low P.E. ratio and a very high dividend, and yet... The chart actually looks not bad. I mean, they've kind of they're kind of like an uptrend since 2016 with a lot of volatility with COVID and then last year's massive bull run and now it's basically returning to the highs of last year's massive bull run. I mean, another thing is is maybe they've just come out like maybe their earnings are so strong that it lowers the price to earnings ratio. Like maybe the chart says one thing and their earnings have been so spectacular that it's lowered the P.E. ratio. And so, and maybe the market still doesn't feel comfortable to move up even more after it's already moved up a huge amount. I don't know how much that helps us, but there you go with BHP. Number two, Rio Tinto is the second biggest mining company in the world at a market cap of $135 billion. So remember, BHP is 200, while Rio Tinto is 135. So Rio Tinto... According to market cap, not according to reserves, but according to just valuation, is is two-thirds of BHP. So that is significantly lower. Now, if we look at the P-E ratio, I mean, if you thought 11.78 was low, look at this, 6.36. So we round it down really to six P-E ratio and a dividend yield that's even higher than BHP's at 9.62%. So again, it kind of, now, I don't see a climate change rating, unfortunately. That was actually quite cool, what we saw in the BHP chart. So again, I, I wonder, is there a little bit of you know the ESG investment crowd that is shunning Rio Tinto? Because that is quite a low PE. Now, if we look at the chart, again, it's trading at $82.40 per share right now. And this is interesting as well. Like if we compare it to 2008 at the peak, it was somewhere around close to $130 per share in 2008 and dropped all the way down to 23. So it had a massive fall in 2008. And then say pre-COVID, it was at $60, dropped in at the lows of COVID, maybe around $45. And then last year, was at $93 and has yet to really capture last year's highs. It's Again, it's at $82.40 now. So yeah, kind of uh, like overall, since March 2009, it looks like it's in a kind of really kind of messy uptrend is how I'd describe that. With even in 2016, it almost hit the same low as in 2009. So since 2016, however, it's a pretty clean uptrend. Okay, so interesting. BHP, number one, $200 billion. Rio Tinto, number two, at 136. Almost exactly two-thirds. Now, in third place is Valet out of Brazil. Again, Rio Tinto and BHP are out of Australia. The third is Valet out of Brazil with a market cap of $97 billion. So... 
that is about half of BHP, right? And so interesting. Now, it's hard to believe here. Again, these PEs, I, I don't even know what to make of it. It says a PE of 3.4. I mean, these are tiny PEs. And when do you get a load of this dividend? A dividend yield of 13.81%. So, I mean, I'm not sure what to make of this. I thought we were in a commodities bull market. What is going on? Like, are people not buying the mining stocks? Because then I look at the chart, and it's had a pretty good six months here. Like, if you look at the 5th of November, we we're at $11.61 on Valet, and now we're at $19.33. So it's almost doubled. But is that to say that like, that's how low the valuations are? I mean, do you really get a 13.81% dividend yield on, on Valet? I mean, if you're a believer in the commodities trade long-term, pretty interesting. And then my whole ESG thesis, well, maybe there's an ESG problem. Climate change score of A-. minus Sounds pretty good. Looking at the long-term chart, in 2008, it had peaked out at around $40, above maybe $42 or so. Dropped in 2009, back down to $11. And rose again in 2011, to $35, and then proceeded to have this nasty bull market, which lasted till January 2016, went all the way down to $2.27. That was crazy. I know a lot of people that bought tech around then, and they 10x'd in a year or something. So yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Since 2016, again, you might say a pretty straightforward uptrend, a little messy. And if we look at last year's peak of $22.68, last summer, last June, and then again, dropped all the way in November and now has come all the way back up, but not quite as high at $19.33 per share. So another just kind of confounding numbers to me. So again, if anybody can explain this, feel free to leave a comment. I'd be quite grateful because I don't understand why if we're in a commodity bull markets and everything's going so well, is it just the stocks haven't caught up and, and they're making a fortune and they're basically not being rewarded? Like, that's basically what it looks like to me. It looks like they are not being rewarded for making a fortune. Moving on, Glencore, which is, is number four. Glencore is number four. And they are commodity trading and mining company. And they're based out of Switzerland, Bar Switzerland. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And so they're on the London Exchange. So they are trading at 528 pounds and 90 pence per share. Their market cap is 70 billion pounds. So it's a little confusing because we're in pounds now. Let me do a quick conversion here. USD to, we're about to put a very big number, 69. Well, we'll just put in 69.35 pounds. What does that give us? Okay, so $90 billion U.S. valuation. So Glencore is at $90 billion. So very close, actually, to Valet's valuation. Um, again, they're more commodities trading, but they are also a mining company. They have, it says here, an oil and gas head office in London. So this P.E. ratio is much more what I'd consider to be in line with what I would expect to happen in a commodities bull market like we're in, P.E. ratio of 18.77, maybe a 19. So yeah, a dividend yield of 2.62%. That all looks normal to me. 
Uh, there is no climate change rating, climate change score. It's only been listed since 2011, 20th of May 2011. And basically, it started at a listing of 524. And you know what? It's kind of gone down all the way in 2016, then went back up in 2018, up to 408, went back down to 135. And you know what's interesting about right now? It is just breaking that opening listing price for the first time. It's kind of like a big U with a little mountain in the middle. So interesting, hey? It, it, it literally just broke, like maybe yesterday, its original listing price. So that is interesting. Glencore looks like it's broken out. So after Glencore, coming in at number five is Freeport McMoran, the world's biggest copper company, I believe, or at least that's focused entirely or mostly on copper, a little bit of gold. And they are U.S.-based. Actually, their head office is in Phoenix, Arizona. So their market cap is $74 billion. So, you know, $15 billion, $10, $15 billion below Glencore. And again, $74 billion market cap, you know, BHP at 200, start to do the math, you know, okay, two and a half free ports make a BHP, something like that, right? So if we look at the PE, this also looks normal, or what one would expect, which is a PE of about 17.5 and a dividend yield of 0.6%. Interestingly, so it's performing quite well, we might say, in terms of its valuation, a climate change score of D, the CDP climate change score. And I've never heard of this, but it's just what's on Google here. But just, you know, for your information, not a very good climate change score. Yet, they are performing well. Now, again, is this because, you know, it's US-based? Because what we're going to see with Newmont is it's performing spectacularly, and it's outperforming all the other gold miners. So you wonder, is there a you know, is there a benefit or a bias towards U.S. companies? It's an interesting question because, again, Freeport, pretty good valuation. Now, looking at the chart, goes back quite a ways, all the way to 1995 when it was at $13, peaked out in 2008 at at $60, crashed to $12 in 2009, and then rose all the way back up to $60, basically a big double top in 2011. Fell all the way to about $5, maybe even less, in 2016. And then rose and then drop again in COVID times to about 6 bucks or $5.50 in March 2020. And now is at 50 So you've 10x since COVID. And it has broken last year's high of $43.97. Uh, that we saw last summer with a lot of the mining stocks kind of took a big, made a move, big move higher. It took a break, and then now it has, it's not broken to all-time highs, but it's kind of with 20%, 25% away. Again, the previous all-time high was a little above $60, and it's at $50.77. And again, last year was at $40. That was the peak. So definitely the wind in its sail, if you look back from 2016 or even particularly from covid March 2020. Moving on, we have Anglo-American, which is trading at 4,161 pounds with a PE ratio of eight, so a low valuation. 
a market cap of 58 billion pounds. So we are talking maybe around $70 billion, a dividend yield of 5%. So again, it's one of these ones that has a lower PE with a higher dividend yield. Again, what we might consider a undervalued miner, but with the climate change score of A minus. So it's not necessarily the ESG reasons. We look at the max chart that goes back to about 2000. It looks very good. What you see is a peak in 2008 at 3,366, crashes in 2009 to 1,100, goes back up, big double top to 3,300 in 2011, crashes in 2016 to 225. Wow, that is quite the fall. And now has gone all the way up to 4,160, with last year's peak being 3,365. So blowing through last year's peak and at all-time highs, it looks to have broken out and a low PE and a high dividend. And like, what was that dividend in November? If it's 5% now. Now, I don't know how regular these dividends are. Like, are these one-offs? Like, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, But the dividend is the dividend. And it's not like, you know... I think to receive this dividend, you probably had to be in these stocks in February. So I don't know how consistent these dividends are, but interesting nonetheless. Number seven, Newmont Corporation, which is trading at $85.42. Now, this is an interesting stock. Valuation of $67 billion, a P.E. ratio of 61, so way higher valuation by several multiples here. Dividend yield of 2.58%. And as standard for them, maybe they're usually around four to two to four percent, right? Climate change score of B. You look at the chart, it actually looks very nice. From all the way back in 1982, you see a long-term uptrend. They have blown through their previous highs, which look like they're around $70 or so. And last year's high was the, you know, maybe $72. And now it's at $85. It's kind of launching to the moon. It looks like it's gone parabolic since October when it was at $53. Yeah, so it has broken out. But, I mean, that is quite the, you're buying something that's up like 60 or 70%, maybe 65% when you buy a Newmont today in the last six months. So that's the only warning on that one. But performing very, very well and then turning... To number eight, we have Nutrien, which is now this market cap here. Let's get the American because it's Canadian. So it's about a $58 billion market cap with a PE ratio of 20. Now, Nutrien is a Canadian fertilizer company based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, my hometown. So a PE ratio of 20. So, you know, again, what you'd expect in this environment, a dividend of 1.66%. Again, that's more in line with my expectations. Since COVID, COVID, it was at $40 Canadian. Now it's at 144 I mean, it's really rocket launched in the last, you know, two months. It's almost doubled. I mean, in January, it's at $87.58. And currently, again, it's at 144 It's not quite doubling there in two months. So again, you kind of want to buy low, sell high. Not financial advice, but uh, yeah, FOMOing into Nutrient at this point. Well, I'm not sure about that, right? So 
interesting. Turning to number nine, the Southern Copper Corporation. That is trading at $73.22 per share with a market cap of $56 billion as well. Dividend yield of 5.46%. So interesting. Uh, You look at the chart, it looks like basically it's about to either break out or have a double top because last year at this time, it was at $79.42. So it hasn't really broken its all-time highs yet here. It's at $73. It looks like it wants to. And if it doesn't, then it could be in a real bit of a double top here. You know, you look at where it was in 2016, it was at $26. So it's tripled from there. In COVID, it was down to $25. Uh, so it's tripled from COVID as well. And uh, now it's trying to reclaim those previous highs from last February, from a year ago. So again, P of 16, dividend yield of 5.5%. And finally, we have Fortescue Metals Group. And this is on the Australian exchange. And its market cap is $50 billion. And it has a climate change score of C. It is an iron ore company. is the fourth largest iron ore producer in the world, according to this Google About entry. And again, you get these... Really weird valuation. So a P.E. ratio of 5.54. So very low P.E. ratio. The dividend is off the charts at 13.67%. I mean, you could round that up to 14%. The chart doesn't look terrible. It doesn't look wonderful. I mean, it has climbed since 2018 from $3.77 Australian to $21. Last year was even higher at $24.91, almost $25. Again, now it's at $21.73. It fell down to $14 last October, since it, and then it's been making its run higher. Not so sure. I love the chart. I don't hate it. I don't love it. And so there you go, 14% dividend, iron ore. So, you know, maybe a lot of these valuations have to do with revenue, uh, with, you know, you probably, I'm sure you have to go a lot deeper. This isn't some deep analysis here. This is just like, but to give you a picture of the valuations of the top 10 mining companies, and I'm just going to do a couple more gold companies because gold's always interesting. Barrick Gold is at $32.01. This is on the TSX. And so it is trading at a PE of 22. So again, not a huge price performance. Its, it's PE is much lower than uh, Newmont's, which is around 60. Dividend yield of 1.6% with Barrick's, so nothing to write home about, but respectable. And again, a market cap of $57 billion. You look at the chart, its previous all-time high was around $52 back in 2011, and it really never recovered. I mean, it went all the way down to $8 in fall of 2015, and it's been kind of steadily climbing since last year. In August 2020, it was at $38, and now it's at $32. So it has yet to really break the previous highs post-COVID. And so climate change score of B, interestingly. And finally, let's look at Agnico Eagle, trading at $82.95. And if you look at the last like three years, it looks a little similar to Barrick, but not entirely. Uh, the valuation on Ignico is at $38 billion, PE of 30. So these gold companies are not cheap, are they? Interestingly, like gold companies are expensive. 
according to their PEs. Dividend of 2.46%, so nothing to write home about. Like where we're seeing value, at least according to the PE multiple, and maybe that is not enough. It likely is not enough to make good assessment here. This is just very simple numbers. But the real value seems to be in like the BHP, Rio Tinto, Valet, Anglo-American, you know, that sort of area where you're finding these small PEs. But what's interesting is the gold chart, Agnico Eagle's chart looks pretty good if it can rise up to above $110, which it hasn't done yet. It's at $83 basically right now. So it was at $110 in 2020 during that August run of 2020. So yeah, market cap $38 billion, PE 30, dividend yield 2.46, climate change score of C. And there you have it. So I mean, as I was saying, I think uh, it, I don't know what to make of that. These, what I find surprising are these PEs. And I checked on a few different, you know, I checked Yahoo, I checked Apple stocks. Again, be warned, this is not the Bloomberg terminal here. So I'm just using what, you know, uh, you know, your retail investor would use. But the PEs are the same across those three platforms. So it's not like I'm on some sort of... Like, it, to me, it feels like this can't be right, which is why I'm mentioning it to you. It's like, I, so if anybody has any thoughts on this, feel free to leave a comment. Otherwise, my assumption is that, you know, gold stocks are actually quite highly valued at a 30 PE, depending on, I guess, where you think gold's going to go, you know, on 30, on a 20 to 60 PE, whereas these uh, industrial metal companies are quite low valuations. Copper is doing quite well, as we saw with Freeport, the PE is 17, and Southern Copper Company, 16. So it's more these uh, BHP, Rio Tinto, again, BHP, Rio Tinto, Valet, Anglo-American that are really... So you wonder, is that like supply chain issue? Like, Are there other factors at work? Australia, Brazil? So it's hard to say. So I hope you find this interesting. I guess what we can say is we're going to take some of this information that we've all kind of come across here, and then we're going to start asking when we bring on these financial guys what they make of it, and maybe we'll get some good answers here. I hope you enjoyed this, and I will see you next week. Once again, for joining the Northern Miner Podcast, my name is Adrian Pocabelli. If you want to help out the podcast, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory, share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.